0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 244 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for hanging out here with me today. Before I introduce today's guest, this is the last week before the launch of the Craft Beer Label Design Course. It kicks off on March 2nd. I'm super excited to bring that to you guys. It's been a labor of absolute joy and love. It has been. It really has been. So if you want to get on that list of the first to know when that opens and get a free guide to get your sort of wet your appetite a little bit, a free guide to five different beer labels and shrink sleeves and how they were made, head over to printdesignacademy.com and check that out there. That's it. Printdesignacademy.com. All right, let's get to it. Today's guest is Frederick Ost from Snask out of Stockholm, Sweden. He is a founder and creative director of Snask. And if y'all haven't heard of Snask, y'all better say it ten times quick and go check them out. I first met Frederick because I was introducing him as a speaker at one of the online re- um, online design events recently. And my plan was just to introduce and then get back to work because I had a lot of stuff going on, but. His presentation was so amazing, I stuck around for the entire thing, and I loved every minute of it. I laughed, I cried, I'm sure he cried, there's lots, just so much there. Frederick has an amazing personality, and that is woven into Snask as well. I'm not even really going to tease this episode much because he's such a good storyteller and has such unique and great experiences that I just want you to hear it fresh from him. I'm not even going to tease it, but there is so much in this episode. It's highly entertaining and you are going to love it. So ladies and gentlemen, let's just kick it right over to him and let him take it away. My guest today, Frederick from Snask. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Frederick, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you, sir?
1: Thank you, Dave. Uh, I'm great. I'm great. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing great. It's like I'm at the beginning of my day. You're at the end of your day. Um, you know, I almost wonder, like, how did today go? Am I am I in for something good?
1: You're in for something good. Uh, <laughs> the sun is gonna the sun is gonna rise. Uh, you're gonna have uh, uh, some uh, some luck today. Uh, oh, you're gonna good. have a compliment. Maybe someone swear at you, but. It was probably deserved, so that's Yeah, that's fine. you won't, be, yeah. Yeah, you won't be, be unhappy about it. So <laughs> okay. You have a pretty good day
0: uh, in front of you. Awesome. Well, Frederick, before we get going, um, are you ready for a quickie? I'm always ready for a quickie. Fantastic. So I'm going to kick this over to you and briefly tell the listeners about yourself.
1: Sounds great. Uh, my name is Freddie, and uh, I am uh, Swedish. Uh, Although I was adopted from South Korea when I was two years old. Grew up in the northern parts of Sweden. uh, Where I, yeah, all my friends were like... 50 times taller than me, and I'm blonde. <laughs> uh, but that was uh, that was fine. Uh, and then I, I did my military service in Sweden, up in the north of Sweden, for 10 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I went to a Greek island to do stupid stuff, like young people do, I guess. Stayed a bit <laughs> too long to be OK. Uh, and then I uh, went to university for six years, the maximum amount of years you can take a grant on the loan in Sweden. Uh, I ended up studying graphic design in in England for three years after I started uh, DJing with some friends and booking bands and I started doing flyers. I realized, hey, I want to do graphic design. So I did that and then... Uh, straight from university, I just decided to, we started our own agency, probably because we did not get any jobs. Uh, but uh, oh, I mean, it's just also fun, because people told us that uh, you can't start an agency with, with, you have to be at least have 10 years of experience in the business to start an mm-hmm. agency. But we were like, well, then we don't, we get someone else experience, we won't get our own experience. Um, and then 14 years later, we are still uh, stupid and make mistakes in a great way. Uh, according to us. Um, we might not be able to get any other any, any jobs uh, because we have learned ourselves what we think is the best way, uh, mm-hmm. but we, we stand proud and, and happy uh, every day. So that's that's good. I think that was a little bit about myself or my career, really.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I just want to unpack that a little bit. So born in South yeah. Korea, um, you came over to Sweden at the age of two, you had said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you had mentioned some military service in there is that like mandatory military service or did you decide to do that or
1: no it was like when i was the last year when when they could still force you to do it mm-hmm. uh so you had to basically uh um, fuck up your your military test uh, in order to not do it yeah uh and when we came in uh we were 18 year old boys so we would like started to compete with one another they probably figured that out before uh so we started doing that and then in the end there was no turning back in the asked, like hey you have to have to do the military service you're doing the long one you're doing 10 months and you're gonna be stationed up in the arctic so you're gonna be a snow soldier or whatever <laughs> which means that you were yeah super super cold it was insanely cold um and uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of mandatory, but I, I would never do it again, but I definitely don't want it undone. So that's good.
0: Awesome. I would say based on like the points that you just made in your intro, you have a, um, a unique and diverse background <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> with a, with some DJing thrown in, spending some time on a Greek Island. For sure. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, I want to I kick this back and, and dive into one specific area just a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And that's you're your focusing on your childhood and, and what that was like. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in the direction of graphic design, even if you didn't know it then?
1: Um, I mean, I was called creative. Other people told me I was good at drawing. Um, that was until I got grown up and realized that I wasn't that good, or at least not to <laughs> be compared to a lot of very talented illustrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I grew up at least believing that I was very creative. I mm-hmm. think uh, that's more important than anything that people and grown up are uh, respons- they take the responsibility to to encourage uh, children and young people to like hey you're creative i think that everyone are born creative i think that's in our human species and dna in order to survive mm-hmm. and then i think that society slowly strangles that uh, and tells people that oh you're not creative you should do numbers you should do this and grow up which means that you shouldn't play with color or you shouldn't uh, um, be playful or funny or or joke around you should take a boring job and sit in a boring cubicle and uh, do numbers or something like that and get your paycheck uh, and then save your money until you die very rich and then you realize in your deathbed why the fuck did I do all this just to die rich it's is like it's so strange um, so <laughs> that got deeper than I was meant to. But, uh, <laughs> I, think creativity, I think that, yeah, I, w- I was told I was creative, and I think that helped me in a way to to believe that I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, now that I'm grown up, I mean, I think everyone are creative. It's just that people haven't realized it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, yes, to that answer
0: but, so, at what point in your in your childhood do you discover graphic design or does somebody introduce you to it? Was it yeah, a, um, a guidance counselor or a family member? Where did that happen?
1: Yeah, it was uh I mean I think my my one of my older sisters gave me some books about Bauhaus and stuff, but I was mm-hmm. too young to really understand it. I was like, oh, okay, um, and then I remember three students came to our, uh, high school, uh, from university and they were like, Oh, uh, we're studying graphic design. It's, it's, uh, you do this and this and this. Uh, and today I will probably have been extremely uninspired by them. <laughs> <'cause> they weren't <laughs> very, they weren't talking about the sweet things, but I was still intrigued by it. I'm like, Oh, yeah. cool. You can do graphic design. But then that disappeared and I tried to be grown up. So I, I studied, yeah. loads of other stuff at the university before like psychology rhetorics media and communication and stuff like that and uh, basically focused on being drunk uh, partying booking bands to our club night and doing all other things than actually being good at studying mm-hmm. until i realized what i wanted to do and that's where i, I think i found it
0: um yeah So would you say that it was through that, you know, that band culture, that music culture where you started seeing gig posters and and other things like that, that you started questioning and connecting the dots on that?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't question my, I thought I was pretty amazing when I did the the designs when I was young, which I now look and see like, oh my God, I was lucky that I had some kind of made up self-confidence in that. But um, yeah, that's how it started with music and uh, doing posters and flyers and stuff like that. but then, I mean, I studied one year in Sweden, and then I studied three years in the UK. And when we came to the UK, they told us, like, oh, you're not allowed to use a computer for the first whole year. And we thought, like, "What? Well, how can we do graphic design if we don't use a computer? Which mm-hmm. we then later, of course, learned that it's just a tool. Um, and then also what we we learned in theory was... Our tutor our professor of graphic design taught us about music. He taught us about film for like two, three months and then he asked us afterwards like what have you been what have I been teaching you for three months?" And we were like music and film. He's like, nope, I've been teaching you graphic design. this is where it comes from. And that it was like you have to be part of your time in culture, you have to consume culture, you have to also contribute to culture and all of these things in order to become a, a, a graphic designer and I think that's really interesting. I think that that's very true I think um, you have to somehow be part of your time.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. you know you, you have to consume culture in order to sort of continue your growth in in graphic design. It's almost like mm. the feel for the creativity. Yeah. Wow. I've never connected the dots like that. Um, Frederick, is there a specific design or maybe that, you know, hearing what you just said, is there a particular piece of music or something that stands out to you as the most influential creative input of your life so far? Something you saw or heard or experienced and has just stuck with you since?
1: Um, no, but there are many, many different parts, of course. I mean, minimalism is one thing that is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like we like, in SNASC, we like maximalism, but also, of course, minimalism have to be there in typography or some things to make it. You can't just go all maxed out. Uh, But at the same time, if you only go minimalistic, uh, you learn how to set Helvetica during three years, and then that's your life. As a graphic designer, it's very boring to us. And we think that there's so much more uh, to that. And also, there's a lot of culture we want to claim minimalism, like, uh, oh, there's a Swedish minimalism. Okay, but there's Danish interior, which is very minimalistic. This Dutch typography, very minimalistic. Mm-hmm. The Swiss typography, being very minimalistic. This Bauhaus from Germany, it's, uh, the British minimalism is the uh, American. So, so it's like, Minimalism isn't owned by anyone and it's merely one one part of of a, of a big thing. When it comes to music, I think that music that I always thought that music was really made me what do you say uh, I could listen to music when I worked, mm-hmm. when I did design. Um, but the more and more I did it, the less and less uh, s- lyrics I wanted to hear. I just wanted music. And then after a while, the less and less. So, I mean, nowadays, uh, I only listen to classical piano music and white noise. So every year when my top uh, top listened songs of Spotify come, people think I'm extremely Uh, bad uh, because it's like white noise in classical piano music. But it's like somehow that I think it's also because I'm writing more now. Mm -hmm. And if I write things like design strategies or brand strategies, having someone singing words in my head doesn't help me. No. So in that case, I think that that's why. Well, maybe if you only design things visually and not like necessarily use words when you think in that way, Mm or work, uh, then probably any music is fine. So I think that's an interesting transition in music for me
0: hmm It's interesting you say that. I haven't checked out like white noise to see how, you know, my my brain works with that while we're working. But I, I completely agree, you know, lyrics while I'm trying to work and think and 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 writing, especially, I agree. It makes it difficult because you're hearing different words than what you're wanting to write. And it just creates this sort of conflict in your head. Um, one list that I go to quite often is called like lo-fi hip-hop. And it's just like hip hop beats with no lyrics and that sort of has that like upbeat energy a little bit to sort of keep me at least head bobbing a bit
1: yeah yeah nice
0: nice so you've mentioned here some of the early influences in your sort of creative trajectory um i want to ask about now are there designers and brands that you look up to now or closely follow now and what about them do you like
1: I, I mean, not as much anymore. Uh, I think more today I'm more inspired by people who, who can show vulnerability uh, and dare, dare to stand up for vulnerability and also like standing up for, for mental health and stuff. I mean, basically having opinions and standing up for them. I think that <laughs> makes me more inspired than before. So yep. if you say that I, I could be inspired by jessica walsh back in the days because she's a great designer but nowadays i'm much more inspired by her because she speaks out what she thinks Uh, she is in a position where she wouldn't have to Uh, she could still be a popular designer or whatever but Mm -hmm. i think that is admiring i admire her for speaking out about things she really believes in and thinks about and and things that actually make enemies but it will make gain fans as well in that sense it's like and i I think that inspires me uh today more than anything while it's maybe back in the days i would be more inspired by what people did and not how they did it or what they stood for
0: yeah great perspective on that because you can always look at something like oh that's a that's a nice design but it's really the heart and the soul of the creator um that is you know the most uh, the easiest to connect with
1: yeah for sure and yeah exactly and also i think that i was for a while i was really proud and 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 had principles and like oh you shouldn't steal and then yet what is the difference between stealing and being inspired and then that's very subjective of course and yeah Mm -hmm. you shouldn't just blatantly copy something or steal it but then again I learned that everything is a remix. The songs that I would refer to as, yeah, but that artist doesn't steal. And that, well, his his or her biggest hits is actually a copy of this song. Oh, really? Or, and then in the end, we are in a position in the world um, where everything is a remix of something else in many different ways. And that's interesting and that's good. So in a way, I think that seeing what someone does is yeah it can be inspiring but also be mindful that everything is a remix so nothing is entirely unique and it doesn't it doesn't have to be in order to be genius it doesn't have to be completely new or completely mind-blowing what someone did because mm-hmm. someone did it before it's fine but i think what you say like what the, the person behind that and the intent of it is much
0: more interesting Definitely. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, so, Frederick, before I get into some of the tough questions here about your career, I first wanted to, on screen here, pull up your um, Instagram feed from uh, the Snask Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to sort of scroll through, pick a couple of posts that jump out at me. And I want to hear the story behind it. I want to hear what went into it. Um, and looking earlier today, there's a lot of stuff on here. There's a lot of gems. Mm-hmm. So let's pull this up here. Yep. Cool. So right away, this whole Kalen Crave um, brand identity really jumped out at me, and I really wanted to hear about this. Can you tell us about this one?
1: Yeah, actually, it's Sebastian Ingrosso uh, approached us, the famous Swedish house mafia DJ superstar. <laughs> uh, and he came by Snask and he, him and his friends uh, were actually like, yeah, we were like really bad. He started out by calling me on the phone and he said, hey, my name is Sebastian. Uh, you need, we need help with an identity. Can I swing by? And I was like, what the fuck? This sounds like a dealer or something. <laughs> and then in the end, it was in comes Sebastian Ingrosso and it was actually him. So he swinged by Snask and he told us that him and his friends had really bad stomachs uh and they were like it, they realized that it was because the, the food they were eating was really bad so they started this restaurant uh that actually uh served food that was a good for your for your belly um and that's the story of it basically and then we we did this together with Emil uh one of the great designers who we work with and um yeah it's basically uh a lot of uh concepts that you don't see here as well but it's like the kale Uh, pattern uh, all over the window and yeah so it's it's very interesting project
0: that's cool so how did the sort of that kale pattern that the line illustration in there how did that become a prominent part of this brand
1: it's basically because we were we always try and find like a graphic element or a pattern that we can use and then enrich the already created identity that we like Yeah. yeah so for example, yeah, we create the logo logotype and with the K and C, and then we start finding the pattern and then we're like, oh, let's incorporate this and see how, how far we can take it, and yeah.
0: That's cool. Yeah, it just it looks so visually appealing with the, the that bright yellow.
1: Mm, yeah, it's a nice yellow, thank you.
0: Yeah, so it's an actual restaurant as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Um, the other one that I wanted to get into, is, ah, there's, there's a couple. Okay. So I'm going to go a couple. Here. <laughs> no worries. Um, no worries. the first one is the, is this please yourself post this one here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, uh, one of the pictures for a campaign we did for monkey a few years back, a Swedish, uh, fashion brand for women. Mm-hmm. And they always stood on the young girl, young female side, um, and uh, we, they were turning 10 years old, so we came in and helped them to create uh, something we called the Monkey Festo, which was a manifesto of 10, oh, ten points, uh, f- strong feministic statements. Mm-hmm. And this was, we built uh, uh, JJ out of a uh, paper. Uh, and it's talking about female masturbation because we talk about a lot of men jacking off, but <laughs> female masturbation is very like, silent. no, you shouldn't like this, a lot of shame and guilt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is also Cardis Cartini, who is the sex columnist for Vogue magazine, talking mm-hmm. about female masturbation. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's that one.
0: Yeah, just the imagery of that and the, uh, the you know, the, the way the typography comes through in this. So it's very visually, you're sort of looking at it, wondering what's going on there.
1: Yeah. And this is also a remix or something else. So this is a homage to Barbara Kruger's uh, typography back in the days. So it was red on on white and black backgrounds and very strong feministic statements as well. So it's, uh, yeah.
0: Nice. A little bit of design history tossed in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know which picture to pull up out of here but these, um, you know, maybe this video or this, uh, gif here.
1: Mm. So this is uh, for like meat, which is a vegan brand, uh, from Germany. Okay. Uh, and uh, they wanted us to create like, uh, uh, imagery and animations for, for their, um, their products basically to show like, uh, it's, 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 you can, uh, you can, you should change what you eat, not who you are. <laughs> uh, and of course, it's a lot of stigma uh, around like, oh, you should, are you vegan? Are you this? Are you this? But it, do, it doesn't matter who you are. It's, it matters what you eat. And that's what you should change, not who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting part. And yeah, so we wanted to create this quirky, uh, kind of strange uh, worlds and environments around around it.
0: It just looks like so much fun. And it just seems to make it instantly approachable.
1: Mm. So this is the Wolverine Wolverine
0: hand and this is yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so much fun. Uh Frederick, you have too much fun at work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And what's this last one? This is part of it as well. This looks like a Yeah, I think
1: she she gets a ketchup on her sweater, but and she just gets happy when
0: (laughs) (laughs) now this um these images like the the colors and the bright vibrancy and the contrast was that um was that part is that part of the brand or is just part of a shoot
1: oh no we created the brand as well uh and we show strong colors to be in the brand uh so they're all brand colors that we chose back in the
0: days for different different products that's cool that would have been a bright studio Mm, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. And well, the next few questions I have um, for you, Frederick, take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. So yeah, sorry. No, it's all right. I'm, uh, I'm sure you don't really have any challenging moments in your career
1: well no because I've, i haven't had i only had myself as my own boss so
0: yeah i think you'll still have some tough stuff for this one um, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far why was it challenging and how did you get through it
1: i think the most challenging time uh, i mean it's been whenever we as uh, partners haven't agreed and one someone have left because it's happened twice Mm -hmm. uh, in these years it's always hard because you're friends and uh, maybe if you look back on it you shouldn't start a company because just because you're friends but maybe Mm -hmm. because you you are good uh, business partners or you fit together as business partners so maybe that's more important than actually being friends and then you become friends maybe but i think that that's a hurtful insight but also important um, to write Mm -hmm. contracts and agreements when you are not uh, when you are still very good friends uh, or when you not have a disagreement because that's what an agreement is for when you're not Uh, Agreeing. (laughs) So writing an agreement when you're not agreeing, that's impossible. So you should always write an agreement when you agree and everything is great. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, well, but we don't have to write an agreement. Everything is great. They say, yep, but that's not for now. It's for when, and it will come, you don't agree. That's when it's there to protect you both. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also make sure that you can still remain friends. Even if we have an argument, so I think that's w- one big thing. The other biggest challenge has been to go from being a young uh, guy uh, and like not knowing too much about vulnerability, about like be taking care of employees. Uh, uh, all of these like questions that no one ever teach you at school or whatever i think that's just been very like big big things for us i mean we can sometimes come across as as kind of macho dudes because we have a rock band that we, that's touring with us and we never really thought about it that way but then of course when you look at it you can yeah that's probably not uh, you have to kind of explain those things uh, and uh, also, if you're very cocky, which we have been a lot, uh, and using a lot of swear words in lectures and stuff like that, it it also creates it creates a, a vibe that is desired, uh, but it also can create a vibe that you kind of never intended, and and that kind of like you need to also like uh, live with that and understand that okay, some things you say uh, might upset people in the right way, and some mm-hmm. things that you say might. Also, upset people, but in the wrong way. And then you have to, like, yeah, uh, be, I'd say, uh, look at yourself honestly and see, like, okay, we should, there's always room for improvement here. We need to sh- look at ourselves and see what we can do better.
0: And it's interesting you use that word vulnerability and, you know, trying to, to learn that and also pay attention and see the image you're portraying that the public is perceiving. Is that what we want? people to be getting from this.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think that it's, I think it's like, we don't want uh, like young women to look at our agency and see like, Oh, all the it's only guys at this agency or or on the stage when you when we lecture, there's like seven guys, and we're already in a world where some conferences can book like out of 10 speakers there's like eight old men over 50 Um, and we are not really positive about them being booked as seven guys going up on a stage because we have the band of five people uh that doesn't portray what we kind of want to show uh like if we would walk the walk we shouldn't do it that way uh, mm-hmm. we probably yeah so it's a lot of that and the vulnerability, of course to like not see uh, that as being weak uh, but actually the opposite like actually it's probably the most brave and strong thing you can be to be vulnerable, and especially yeah. on stage in front of thousands or whatever, I think that's uh, it changed during during the years. I think when we were more young, we maybe thought that it was the cool side that was the strong side. But as we grew, uh, like everyone else, we realize uh, things all the time. And I think that what's good is that change is is inevitable, and we just need to to keep keep changing uh, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people who say like who raised their hands, like, who wants change? And everyone's like, yeah, who wants to change? And then there's silence. (laughs) And then there's work for everyone to do, because change won't come if no one wants to change. So I think that's... uh... It's
0: important. Oh, 100%. Great point on that one. And I wanted to just sort of briefly touch back on the partner's point that you had mentioned. Um, you know, in those situations where partners aren't agreeing, is it direction of the company? Is it brand direction for a client? Is it, um, is it typically company-related issues or just direction?
1: I mean, I think it can be anything, but in our two cases, it's been how we treat each other maybe, or how we uh, see the business. I mean, I think it can be anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that something that, something that you don't think about the first months, I mean, it's the same with a relationship. A, it's basically a relationship. It's like your best friend or your sister or brother or your loved one. It's like going into a company with, with someone you will have a relationship and you will endure the same like steps as you do in a romantic relationship where like after the well, like, first three months is super fun anything you do is super fun and exciting you don't have to like do any any what is a sacrifice or nothing feels um you don't have to do compromise everything is just fun and then comes a time after like a year when it's like Wait a minute, what are we? What are we going to do? We don't agree on everything. You're very annoying with these things that I didn't see you after three months and whatever. And I think you spend too much time on this project instead of that one. And we, you know, all of these little things. And same after three years, same after seven years. And I think that's like, it's very, it's very few people that, that think about that when they start a company that it's it's exactly like our relationship because it is. Uh, And you need to agree on things, you need to compromise, you need to communicate, you need to like, yeah, all of those things.
0: Yeah. And that's a huge, you know, piece of advice is that like you had mentioned earlier is when when things are going great and you guys are in that honeymoon phase, that initial excitement and energy, like that's when you want the partnership agreement. That's when you Mm. want to create that stuff so that when things aren't going that way, when things are going a little bit sideways, when there's conflict, there's no, you know, you have to try and pull emotion out of it and say, This is the document that we created together this is what we need to follow and do this is what we agreed on
1: yeah and it's there to protect both so i think that's like super important and also when they when you write that agreement you should have someone who is not uh, biased who will play the devil's advocate and say like yeah you slept with uh, his or her partner uh what are you gonna do so what why why would would that happen well it doesn't matter if it's happening or not because this is just like when if you hate each other what's gonna happen what are you gonna do with the company because those things might happen and i think that Mm -hmm. is harder when you two people trying to agree on things to bring up the most horrible situations um but Someone who's unbiased might be able to
0: help out. And that's where that person comes in really, really helpful is, you know, in a situation like that, where you're, you know, you're, you're being asked these questions about situations that you look at and you're like, that would never happen. It almost becomes funny and hard Mm. to take seriously. But that's where that third person go like, you need to take this seriously because in seven years you might have 10 people employed here and because of a lack of a partnership agreement? Are you guys not getting along? Are these 10 people now out of a job? Like, like, how does that work? So it, it's definitely something that's very important.
1: Yeah. And I, I remember when we were, we had our external CEO who helped us out uh, a lot. Uh, he was a friend, but he was very, he is very good and smart. And he helped us out if he got the the title external CEO for a while, which he had. But he he told us when we had disagreements, like, oh, but I mean, most companies have a totally different um, ownership um, within like five years. And we were like, no, that would never happen to us. How can you say that? And then it's true for these 14 years, it's all true. It's like, it's, it's quite it's changes. But when you're in the honeymoon phase, you think that no, no, no this
0: can't be it. And then you realize "Hmm, it's it's ride or die in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Frederick, I want to get a little bit more specific now with this next one. Can you take us to a specific design or project that um, you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result, fell flat on the boardroom floor, um, whatever that is. Can you take us to that story? What was that like? How did that feel?
1: yeah i mean we we did a, a huge uh, company uh, i'm not gonna say the names of the company but it was a huge branding rebranding job mm-hmm. and um it's very corporate uh and it had a, a founder and ceo who was too involved in everything mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of uh, what do you say um experience from buying our services and there was very little experience of what branding was and the return on investment of design and branding uh so it was very hard to may re make them realize that what we did uh has has a like there's a point why we do things there's a strategy um and i think that's that's always a challenge because we we do things we design things from a strategy mm-hmm. we this we make something look like something because of a strategy and then say that you create a logo uh that you think is like but this is uh, this represents the brand in all these ways and then you send it to the client they are don't have the same eyes as you. So they would be like, hmm, I think this J looks like a, a elephant trunk. And I think that uh, the a, the age here looks like History Channel's logo. And I think this and this and that because the mind works like that. It, the human mind works that it wants to find resemblance. Mm-hmm. And that's what it does. So if they're looking at an age, it will look similar to History Channel's logo because it's an age. Uh, Uh, an elephant's trunk or whatever but then it's like is it relevant is it relevant to this 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 what is a process and if someone has very little experience uh, but they want to say a lot of stuff without be having arguments behind it it's very hard to move forward and that project ended up being a nightmare where we did loads and loads of iterations only in the end after like Two months of a lot of work uh, having the CEO and founder coming in and, like, that's just like, no, we're gonna use our old logo. Which is like, when we asked, we even asked, like, can he send a logo that he likes and a logo that he doesn't like? So we at least see something, and he couldn't even do that. And that's like mindless use of money, mindless use of time and energy and i think that it's just like none of us needed to to have gone through this process in the end we finished the project and the rebrand but i mean yeah i think it's really really uh, sometimes it's really tough uh, when clients uh, are really corporate and they don't have the what do you say the decision making power and um, we always ask that group that we work with are people who who have the mandate to take decisions Um, and then sometimes they they have it but sometimes as in this case they say they have it but then they have a a crazy founder who just jumps in everywhere and just change things which is the worst kind of leadership i think there is so yeah
0: man that's a tough spot you know because you you get excited about creating the new logo about creating in general and doing something big for this rebrand and you know after the work put in to just have it turned away turned away turned away turned away all of a sudden no you continue but we're going to use this old logo and that's what it is it can definitely be creatively deflating yeah yeah for sure so that's sort of on one end of like the, the corporate spectrum where you've got a CEO or a founder that's he- way too heavily involved and doesn't quite understand um, design and design services and, and how that all works. Do you have a, a story you could share from the other side where you have a corporate client and you don't have to name names where they, they get it and you guys yeah. just let run.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that most big clients have experience. So I think that it's pretty unusual. I think it's like a lot of maybe fast growing companies um, can lack experience because they employ people at such a rate. Mm-hmm. But, and then they also fire people at a rate or people move on after two years and then they lose all that that uh, knowledge and experience and new, new blood comes in. Uh, and I mean, it can have beneficial benefits, but the, the downside is they lose experience all the time and knowledge is never stuck. So it's it's been like, I think big clients can come in with an experience and they're like, oh, we are paying for your expertise, mm-hmm. um, which means that you are gonna, you know best when it comes to this. Uh, and that's the best seat uh, you can be in. And I know that in in the U.S. it's different than the client often has the final say all the time. While well, in Sweden, uh, it is more the other way around, that clients know that they are not experts and they come to us and pay for expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a dream thing. I mean, working with big clients that buy our services for our expertise and we can tell them like, we recommend this because of this and this and this. Mm -hmm. You also need an honest and direct feedback process where you guys can feedback, but you also need to have arguments why you say something the same way as we have to have arguments why we say things. So it's not like, I don't like green. But that's not an argument why your company's brand shouldn't have green. Oh, it looks like a direct uh, uh, competitor. Great. That's a great argument for not using green then. and there are many great colors for it. Um, But stuff like that is, I think that's important. Or like also yes, color theory is a lot of BS. It's a lot of people using theories around color that isn't correct. It's like, oh, red is an angry color. Uh, It means blood and blah, blah, blah. Um, It's a warning color by nature we shouldn't use that yeah but it also means love and passion yep. it means like burning passion it's like so many things um and also if if it if it was true that it, it really did work negatively people drink coca-cola they drink a, a something from a can that is completely red mm-hmm. they fly in norwegian air and virgin atlantic which is red planes. if it was remotely true people wouldn't get into those planes or blue is the ocean but blue is also cold blue is uh, it and the tech world blue is also calmness blue is also being depressed um so it's like uh, all these colors mean so many things and if clients start using it or designers start using that as arguments you yeah. will open the door to bs and then everyone will take it and you're in for a shit show i'm sorry uh <laughs> that's how it is uh, yeah so that's that's more like than it's better to not have pride in it and like oh there's plenty of great colors we can pick that is not this color and not a uh, competitor color and we mm-hmm. look into that uh, because i think that's the only a sober answer in that
0: situation. Yeah. And I like how you said it. it's so important to have, have the why the reason, you know, when somebody is, you know, designing something or presenting a logo or a word mark in a certain way, you know, why did you make those choices? Not just, I, I thought it looked good. I thought it fit. Yeah. What are the reasons why? Like you almost have to develop a bit of a, you know, some sales with it, right? Sell the mm-hmm. client on this logo why you decided this. Definitely. Um, Freddie, what's something you're struggling with in your design career right now?
1: Right now, I think motivation in the COVID um, because it's been like a long year, of course. It's Mm -hmm. been dark here in Sweden from October at least, uh, not being able to see friends or colleagues in the studio or stuff like that. And New Year's, New Year's, Christmas, and New Year's is, is is a nice holiday, but it's also stressful, and a lot of like things you need to do. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of expectations on you as a if you're a parent, or on you as a from your parents as a child, or from from your siblings or your relatives, or par- all these things. A lot of pressure things that have to be a certain way. And if you're not invited to the correct New Year's Eve party or if you don't do this and that, it is a lot of things like that. So I think that coming back in January is always like more depressing than coming back in August after summer vacations, because in Sweden we have at least like four weeks off in July. Mm. Uh, so, we're like, we always come back after summer more like energized. Yeah. I think they're coming back in January. It's like, it's different, especially after this darkness, COVID, and all these things that happened all the time. Fucking capital <laughs> being <laughs> formed. Uh, but, um, uh, so in that sense, I think I'm struggling a bit to, to like coming back into it because normally it's nice to like go into your studio meet your colleagues talk about what everyone did go for lunches the first week take it easy and now it's like you only see them through this damn screen yeah it's harder to connect i think so that's i think i'm struggling a little bit with
0: a hundred percent. I think a lot of people are are feeling that and the carry over to this year. Um, so can I briefly ask you about, about COVID and what happened to like your business? Like what, what happened when this all went sideways and crazy in March or April of last year? Um, you know, some designers saw all of their work erode and go away. Um, other designers and companies, are busier than they've ever been having their best years ever. You know, it seems to be all over the place. What did you guys experience?
1: I mean, looking back uh, financially, at least, we did a very, very good year, which is very strange. Um, But it was also like a couple of projects that were very big that hadn't we got those, we would, uh, on the other hand, had a very bad year in Mm -hmm. many, many times. So I mean, it's all about luck in a way. It hit us hard as well. We had we had a lot of like film projects that just got cancelled and and, mm-hmm. and uh, put on hold. And we, I mean, I think uh, it was lucky that summer came because then we could go back and like start producing things again. And then now November happened and and it got uh, harder again. Mm-hmm. But it was for sure. Um, it was for sure a challenge, but I think most, the biggest challenge is the culture, the the not seeing each other, the all that those things. It's, yeah. it's much harder to uphold. It's like if someone you like goes away on holiday for two weeks and then they, during that time you see them every day through Skype. It's not the same thing as when you see meet them at the airport and they come running into your arms. Mm-hmm. That's another feeling. And it's like, evidently so that you don't get the same connection through a screen with someone you care about the way that you, you do uh, in real life. So I think it's, um, it, it tore, tore on us um, the whole year during COVID as a team as well.
0: Yeah. that human connection is such an important part of, you know, us as humans and our happiness and interacting with people, not only that, but, I think creatively, the work is so much stronger when you have that in-person collaboration. You can do that. Um, It just, you get the energy of the room instead Mm. of like through a screen, like you're not feeling the energy of my environment. I'm not feeling the energy of your environment. It's, it's separate yeah virtually we can see each other, but it's separate. There isn't that that energy in the idea building, and you know that's how some of these great ideas sort of bubble up from the energy of of the room and the conversation, which is something yeah. that you just can't get right now, so yeah. definitely looking forward to that going back the other direction as much as possible
1: yeah yeah for sure how how was it for you
0: um It's uh, so primarily like my, one of my main jobs is, is account management. So I'm, I'm out there I'm visiting clients. I'm going for lunches with clients. I'm doing all of that since March. I've been in the office one day a week Mm. uh, and really for a few hours just to move some things around, but I'm meeting clients and discussing projects through this and, and it's, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not, I, I, like I said, I don't get that, that energy of, a, of, a of, you know, the creativity into a project that, that energy, you know, it just, I can't really think of any other word to describe it other than that, but you're just, you're missing that, the essence you're missing. Something. Yeah, for sure. Right, so it's just a lot of that. Um, so I'm going to turn this around now, Frederick, and I want you to tell me about a project that you've been a part of um, that you're the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing.
1: I mean, one of them is the monkey uh, case that we just uh, talk about from the Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. It was very important because of the the subject, the the meaning, the messages, uh, what it actually meant, and what it, the results from it was really really good. Um, but if, if another project, it would be probably Malma Festival that we did where back in the days like two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a huge installation uh, as a poster and identity that was 13 meters uh, long and like nine meters wide. And then we built the whole like identity up by hand in wood. And then we went up 30 meters up in the air and photographed it. Um, and then that was the poster and the magazine front cover and all of these things. That was really nice. And then we placed the whole installation on the festival area. Um, during the the eight days it was it was live and people could yeah. climb around on it or stuff like that that was really fulfilling to like make something design something and then build it up huge for real and see it i think that's something you can't really describe as a creative to see something come to life like that i think
0: that's uh yeah so what was the most exciting parts of that? Was it was it just the scale and the you know, how people could interact with it? Was that what made it so appealing and special? Or what was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, one was that, to be able to create something because we took a really like we were like, we told the client like, we want to do something now. That's not been done before we want to do something new and big. And like, and then we found a budget, another budget they had for installations on Mm -hmm. their area uh, so we just combined them and, and, or, and managed to, to convince them that we would use both budgets to create one huge thing uh, that would become everything um, and also that it would be interactive that the children would, would climb on it during the whole time and I think that was like the, the, the big uh, uh, thing for us was to like do something that is bigger than the actual thing. Mm-hmm. Like we that took, I mean normally it's just a logo, topography, some colors, and then make a, a cover for a magazine or a poster or whatever. But this was like taking something from one one part of a journey all the way to a big installation that people can climb on, and it was the same thing during the whole time. I think that was a big thing.
0: That's cool. You know, having sort of input on the complete start to to finish. Of that particular project, you know, right to the installation point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. One. Um, the other story that I really remember from your RGD presentation was one about Target, and mm-hmm. uh, it involved tattooing. And I'm going to say tattooing in air quotes. Tattooing. Um, can you share that story on here? Because that's you know, if somebody didn't attend the RGD talk i definitely want them to to hear this because it was such a cool moment and and seeing your um your face while you talked about it you know it's obviously an, an important moment in your career too so can you share that story with us
1: yeah definitely um we were finishing up a target uh, project in new york where we've done some films and content for them and uh, during the, the the week we were there um the prop through prop artists told us, like, oh, I can hide a tattoo machine in the budget. And uh, when we do the, when we're all done on the wrap party, we can, like, tattoo each other. And we were like, yeah, right, he's just American. He's just this thing. <laughs> and then at the end of the of the shoot, he, he brought it out. It's like, here it is. And we we're like, what? And we had no idea how to do it. So we, we had to watch a YouTube video, of like, how to assemble a, a tattoo machine. Um, and then we had no one to tattoo, so we asked around, like, does anyone know how to tattoo? And and his uh, the illustrator, uh, she was like, uh, like, do you do you wanna do you know how to tattoo? She's like, no. Do you want want to do it? She's like, hell yeah! So then she we she watched a video on YouTube, like how to tattoo someone and then she started with an orange because that tutorial said like you have to do an orange before you do a real person so she did that <laughs> we did two arrows uh, for friendship uh and she started with me and then she did eric my partner and then the the client came up and she won one as well on her arm same place and she almost fainted during this, oh, no. this ordeal <laughs> um and we thought that maybe we took this too far. Maybe we should, sometimes we shouldn't combine rock and roll with professionalism. <laughs> uh, but um, and then we never heard, heard anything. And then one year later, we got an email from her at her new employee, employment, where she wanted us to come over and shoot some films for, for uh, Play yogurt brand uh, in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And... Um, And when we came there she was like the queen of the office showing like yeah my boys from sweden are coming over we have the same (laughs) matching tattoos so we took photos with it um yeah that was really fun i think that that it shows that it doesn't matter what you if you treat your clients as humans and your colleagues and everyone else like humans doesn't matter. Like what you say, if you get a tattoo together or whatever, it's like that bond you create with another human. That's what matters. not like if you wear a suit or not, or if you use polished language or not. Like I think it's just like, um, trying to, to reach the other person emotionally is the most important thing.
0: Definitely that emotional connection and that, um, Yo play project. Do you remember the approximate value of that for you guys? Like what that was worth? Are you able to share that?
1: Yeah, I can't really remember how much it was. We also, we also do it with production agencies. So it depends on how you see the budget, but it was big for us. It was, uh, how much can it be? Oh my God, it was a lot of years ago. Let's just say it was important for our yearly re- revenue. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a big project. Yeah. So it was definitely big, a big project for us at that point, point. Uh, and it was very surprising the way we got it. See, so In the badminton film. We don't know if we're ever going to get anything from it. Uh, we do. We do st- stupid stuff all the time, and sometimes we get business from it, and we never know <laughs> how or why. But yeah. <gasps>
0: Yeah. So you could say that an amateur tattoo led to a significant video project.
1: Very amateur. tattoo.
0: Yes. <laughs> Very amateur. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Freddie, we do this thing on the Quickie podcast called the Ask It Forward question. That's where I have a question from my last guest um, mm-hmm. for you. And they didn't know who they were going to be asking this question of. And then you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. Um, Uh Again, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Yeah. So my last guest was Mr. Chris Logsdon. He's a graphic designer and brand director for the Sasha group out of New York. Yeah. And he wanted to ask you, and now this is, I'm going to just put a warning out there. This is a hotly contested question. All right. Um, And you know, people aren't, people don't land in the middle on this one it's a hard yes or a hard no um so the question is ketchup on mac and cheese yes or no
1: ketchup on mac and oh ketchup on mac and cheese Oof. no hard no. no yeah hard no for me
0: We know where you we know where you sit <laughs> you <laughs> don't even know where i live <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, Freddie, what is the question that you would like me to ask the next guest for you?
1: Um,
0: up, 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 up.
1: What would you rather regret on your deathbed? Um, would you rather regret things that you did in your life, or would you rather regret that you never did anything in your life?
0: Never wow. Put your at risk, yeah. That's a great one. I like that question. Well, Freddie, you've reached the end of the quickie podcast, man. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been great.
1: Thanks to you, Dave. This was one of the best and longest quickie I've ever had. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not known for being quick on the quickie here. We we do long ones, <laughs> quickie-ish. <laughs> I, I gotta change my intro instead of it saying um, you know, in thirty minutes in thirty minutes or less, you know, um, you know, thirty minutes or more.
1: <laughs> that like that. <laughs> awesome thanks for having me Dave it's been a pleasure so nice
0: alright that is the end of today's episode thank you so much everybody for listening I know that you laughed at least seven times during this episode because it's so good I know you did um, I will be back again next week and the craft beer label design course kicks off on March 2nd definitely go check out Snask and the work that they are doing especially the badminton video, because that is an absolute gem. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Talk to you soon.